Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Dick Tapper in Washington. Ask not for whom Big Ben tolls, it tolls for trust. British Prime Minister Liz Truss today setting the men's and women's all-time indoor speed record for duration as a prime minister, only 44 days in office. That's not even five Scaramucci's. Her abrupt resignation earlier today throws our closest ally even further into chaos. Not that our friends across the pond weren't able to find any humor in this instability. The Economist magazine pointedly wondered which would last longer Liz Truss's prime ministership or a perishable head of iceberg lettuce? A YouTube live stream put this theory to the test six days ago, and, well, lettuce, Liz, is still standing. You know when folks start invoking salad items when discussing how long you're going to last at your job. At some point, I suppose, it becomes a feta compli. But let us move on. How could six weeks go so horribly wrong Liz Truss's fall from power accelerated after she introduced Trussonomics, a plan for massive tax cuts aimed at the wealthiest Britons so they could create jobs, she said. Essentially, trickle-down economics. This proposal immediately caused the British economy to implode. Just the mere suggestion of this plan sent financial markets into a tailspin, drove the country's currency to a record low value against the American dollar, and pushed mortgage rates even higher. And this is on top of an already pre-existing deepening cost of living crisis in the UK, leaving average citizens struggling to afford basic day-to-day expenses. Liz Truss tried to staunch the bleeding. Sacrificial lambs were offered. Ultimately, she apologized and tried to reverse course, but by then it was too late. The economy did not keep calm and carry on. That's quite a lot of damage in a pretty short amount of time. Ultimately, this turmoil was too much, even for her own conservative party, and Liz Truss was shown the door at number 10 Downing. And now the conservative party, they got a real problem. Public support is at an all-time low. If they held an election tomorrow, they would assuredly get thumped, meaning the next prime minister should probably think twice before unpacking those boxes. The staircase up to the second floor at 10 Downing Street has a picture of every prime minister. I suppose Truss now gets one. It's weird to think of her hanging up there with Churchill and Thatcher, but I will always remember her as a resident of 10 Downing because that was the first time I was ever let inside that building. My team and I went there just a few weeks ago to interview Prime Minister Truss. It was her first U.S. interview. And I'm not sure, but it might have also been her last. I asked her about the fact that our president, Joe Biden, had just said, Trickle-down economics was a loser. President Biden is, in, in essence, saying that he thinks your approach doesn't work. Well, I, don't, I don't really accept the premise of, premise of the question at all. But my view is we absolutely need to be incentivizing growth at what is a very, very difficult time for the global economy. How do you say, I told you so, in British? Anyway, 
I do wonder how this news is being received today by Larry the Cat, the chief mouser at 10 Downing who's preparing to meet his fifth prime minister. His killer instincts, we should note, have made him a star. Oh! I mean, I was rooting for Larry. Anyway, despite his reputation, Trust seemed quite fond of Larry. At number 10, you're going to be keeping Larry the Cat as the chief mouser. Is that correct? That is true. Larry's, Larry's position is assured. He's safe. And uh, he's, he's doing a great job. Although he does spend rather a lot of his time asleep. Not to be catty, but Larry seemed to know better than to hitch his wagon to that short timer. Look, British politics can be brutal. Prime Minister Winston Churchill had just saved the world in 1945 when he and his party were ousted from power. I mean, he saved the world. That wasn't enough for voters. A couple years later, Churchill said, quote, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. The other prominent form currently, autocracy. And you bet, President Xi of China and Putin of Russia, no doubt are celebrating the latest example of how messy democracy is. I mean, the push-pull nature, the fickle public, craven politicians, the conflict and the tension, it's built in. And what about that other form of government, the one that is supposed to be the definition of stability, especially in the UK? Monarchy. Well, I got some bad news on that front, too. Queen Elizabeth II, whose final royal engagement was meeting the new prime minister, Liz Truss, she's gone. So for the first time in seven decades, there's a new monarch in town, King Charles. But his popularity lags behind his mom's, and there is major uncertainty about whether he can unite his own family, much less his kingdom. Prince Harry's new memoir is already dividing the country, and it hasn't even been published. An upcoming Netflix show will highlight the lives of Harry and his wife Meghan Markle in self-imposed exile in California. Man, season 20 of The Crown is going to be lit. But what happened today at 10 Downing is about something much bigger than the drama of Buckingham Palace or the career demise of Liz Truss. The UK remains America's closest friend in the world. And it's not just our history that is shared. Our futures could be as well. Consider this. A divisive policy based on nationalism, poo-pooed disdainfully by elites, succeeds at the ballot box, surprisingly. Heralded by a brash politician with a unique hairstyle. I'm talking about Brexit, of course, the 2016 vote of the UK to leave the European Union, which predated and predicted our own vote for disruption later that year. So is there anything we can learn from our loss of trust? A wise friend of mine in the UK, a longtime government official, allegiant to neither Labour nor Tory, says both of these parties are too focused on only attempting to appeal to their base. Hence, far-left former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn and, he said, Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, selected by members of Parliament with apparently little thought about popular support. The lessons for the U.S. are about what happens, whether the lunatics on the far-left or the far-right take over 
their parties here. The right of the Tory party. They've been calling the shots since Brexit. And frankly, it's been a slow motion car crash. The lesson, find compromise. Appeal to the middle. Because this chasm between the extremes, it leads to the paralysis that we see in the UK today. Or, as they say when you take the tube, mind the gap. Now we're going to go far, far away after the break and leave the politics bit behind and take you to the pillars of creation, a stunning and surreal new look at where the stars are born, literally, courtesy of the new Webb Space Telescope. Its engineer from NASA is here to explain just what we're seeing here. Stay with us. One of the most stunning and, in a way, inexplicable stories of the week involves these incredible images captured by the James Webb Space Telescope. We're told these pictures show newly formed stars in a region called the Pillars of Creation. These images are stunning, but if you're anything like me, you, you have no idea what we're looking at here. So let's bring in Mike Menzel, NASA Mission Systems Engineer for the James Webb Telescope, to, to tell us what this is. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Welcome. So first of all, let me say, we knew that the Pillars of Creation existed because uh, the Hubble telescope about 30 Mm -hmm. years ago picked up these images. Obviously, a much sharper, clearer picture today. What is this? What am I looking at here? This is a vast cloud of gas in space. It's about uh, 6,500 light years away from us. The the cloud itself is maybe around 10 light years in, in, in size. And what you're seeing is an area where vast amounts of stars are being born. Outside of the field of this, there are stars that have already been born, very hot stars that are actually now evaporating the cloud that they were were born in. And so that evaporation is peeling away the layers of gas and leaving the most dense layers there. And those dense layers are what you see there as the pillars of creation. Now, they were nicknamed that because inside these pillars, stars are still being born. And this latest image from the James Webb Space Telescope has some very fascinating things in it. The red areas that the astronomers have described as looking as looking like lava are actually new stars that have just been born, and they're actually spewing out gas in what we call jets. And that, that's what you're seeing here. You didn't see those on the Hubble image yeah. because the infrared wavelengths that James Webb is looking at were not detected by the, uh, by the Hubble Space Telescope. It's incredible. And I know uh, you're particularly interested in, in this. It's called the deep field. This is inside the Pillars of Creation? No, this is is an entirely different area. And what is this? Now we're looking outside of our galaxy. The Pillars of Creation are inside our Milky Way, our our vast city of stars in the universe. This looks at other uh, galaxies in our our universe. And it's uh, it's a cluster of galaxies right here in the center that's about 4 billion light years away from us. Wait, which ones are galaxies? Well, just about every dot you see in here is a galaxy. Every dot here is a galaxy? So the Milky Way galaxy is one galaxy, and every dot one is a different galaxy. And each galaxy has about 100 billion to about 300 billion stars in it. So you're looking at cities of about three, you know, hundreds of billions of stars. This particular area here is a big, big cluster of galaxies. Yeah. And behind it, well, this cluster of galaxies is very, very massive. And light from galaxies much farther away from that is passing through its gravity field and actually bending to form these arcs. Those arcs are distorted views 
of galaxies much farther away. You mean like like this arc, kind of like that? That's Is correct. That, or like this one here? That's correct. Okay. That's called gravitational lensing. It's actually a dramatic, uh, a dramatic proof of what Albert Einstein said. Gravity is space that's bent. Light travels through space, and as it travels through space, it bends too. So the gravity of these galaxies are distorting the images of galaxies much, much farther away. But the thing I really love about this image, yeah. I-, I can tell you, when my wife first saw it, she looked at me and she said, it looks like Hubble. <laughs> and, yeah. and the truth is, it does. Yeah. It does look like Hubble. The Hubble picture that looks like this took 14 days. James Webb did that in 12 hours. 12 hours. Incredible. And tell us about Stefan's Quintet. Is this also outside of the Milky Way galaxy? It is. This is a, this is a group of five galaxies, four of them which are interacting. One, it's about, two, three, four? Are well, there's one, two, three, four, five. There's actually five galaxies. Okay. In there. That's why it's called a quintet. This guy over here just happens to be in a line of sight. He's not involved with the other four. Oh, okay. The other four galaxies are actually merging together, and their gravities are interacting with each other. And as their gravities interact, uh, you get places where they kind of uh, compact or, or make shock waves that uh, uh, compact the gas. And when you compact the gas, you start forming new stars in places we call star birth. It's believed that um, you know, a lot of galaxies like the Milky Way and the galaxies that we know today that are close to us we came to be as small galaxies in the early universe interacted, merged together, and formed the big galaxies that we see. It's unbelievable. Now, this is the, these are called the cosmic cliffs. This is also outside the Milky Way galaxy? No, this is within our this Milky Way. This is inside, Way. okay. And, and what is this? Well, this is an area much like the pillars of creation. In fact, the, the physics of this is very similar to the, the pillars of creation. Stars have been born and are being born in this cloud. The stars outside the field or evaporating the clouds. And you can almost see a pillar of creation starting here. That's a dense part that's evaporating slower than the rest. Stars are being born in, this, in these cosmic cliffs as we speak. And all these dots are stars? They're stars. And this one is about 7,000 light years away. It's in our own Milky Way galaxy. If I go back to the pillars of creation, do we know where this is in the pillars of creation? Or is it not? In no, a- no, it's a separate cloud. It's a separate it's a cloud. It's not part cloud. of the pillars Correct. of creation. Okay. Now, this is interesting. This is the rings of Neptune. Now, we always knew, even when I was a little boy, we always knew Neptune had rings. So what's the significance of that? Well, I don't, I'm not sure you knew as a little boy that no? Neptune had rings. Oh, maybe I, uh, astronomers I, in the early, uh, in the 1800s... Oh, they, no, I'm sorry. I'm, think, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, thinking of Saturn. Saturn. I'm thinking of and Saturn. That's why I, I this, that's why I love this picture so okay. much. Astronomers in the 1800s suspected Neptune might have had a ring. Astronomers suspected it. But it wasn't confirmed until Voyager 2 imaged it. But the rings were very pathetic. They're very dark and very thin, and they're not much to talk about in the visible light. But when I saw this image, it struck me. I had a a very visceral reaction to this because it looks like Saturn. Yeah, that's why I was confused. It is. In the infrared wavelengths, these rings of Neptune, which we knew were there since Voyager 2, now stand out beautifully. I mean, I, I was standing next to a planetary astronomer when we first saw it. And we, we both had just visceral reactions to this, like, look at that. Oh, my God, look at that. What are rings? They're, they're, dust, they're dust that's orbiting the planet. There are two theories of them. Um, one, you, people used to think that maybe, um, in the case of Saturn, which we still think, uh, the rings were a moon that might have got too, uh, too close and got destroyed. Another, another theory is that, hey, these are places where a moon might have tried to form, but just never, got, never finished the job. 
So these are rings of, uh, of you know, billions and billions of dust particles. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freelance a little and, and say, I don't know if you're a religious man and it has nothing, it's none of my business, but when you look at this, does it make you think there has to be some force out there that we can't comprehend other than just science happening? Well, it certainly brings out that, <laughs> brings that, it should bring that out in people, whether or not they believe in it or not. You know, to, to watch the forces of the universe actually act to, to create stars has to give you some kind of reaction. And it also makes me think that it is the height of arrogance to think that we are the only life anywhere in this vast complex of so many galaxies. I wouldn't disagree with you. Oh, this is just so much fun. Mike Menzel, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. If aliens are looking back at us through that comic dust, they're probably wondering, what on earth is wrong with those carbon-based life forms? Why are they so hell-bent on lying, cheating, winning at all costs? Is this where civilized behavior in these multiple galaxies goes to die? Well, aliens, that is a good point, and that is something we Earthlings, especially we here in the United States, need to address, and we will do so next. Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I feel like playing by the rules and winning honorably used to matter in this country. It, it seems quaint, but I feel like it did. This is on my mind right now because District Court Judge David Carter examined a bunch of emails from Trump attorney John Eastman. Eastman, you might remember, offered these bizarre theories and fraudulent plots to help Trump hold on to the presidency after Joe Biden won. Anyway, Judge Carter says that these Eastman documents show that Trump knew his claims about alleged voter fraud, specifically in Fulton County, Georgia, were false. And Carter says they, quote, demonstrate an effort by President Trump and his attorneys to press false claims in federal court for the purpose of delaying the January 6th vote, unquote. He goes on to say the emails show that President Trump knew that the specific numbers of voter fraud were wrong but continued to tout those numbers both in court and to the public, unquote. Basically, the judge is saying Trump wasn't deluded or misinformed about the 2020 election loss. He was lying. And that goes to state of mind, which means, Judge Carter says, quote, the court finds that these emails are sufficiently related to and in furtherance of a conspiracy to defraud the United States, unquote. But this isn't about Trump. I mean, it is, but not just about him. I'm struck at how pervasive the idea of winning at all costs has become in America. There are so many cheating scandals, it's hard to keep track of them all. You got guys cheating in fishing contests, hiding weights in walleye. We got weights in fish! Get the f*** out of here! There are allegations of cheating in the world of chess. They're made by Norwegian world champion Magnus Carlsen against 19-year-old American grandmaster Hans Niemann. The fellow grandmaster jokingly suggesting that Niemann maybe used vibrating um, beads on his person to get secret information and suggestions for his moves. Niemann denies it. Just today he filed a $100 million defamation suit against Carlsen. But then again, I mean, it's chess. 
they literally shake hands before every match. There was even a cheating scandal in this year's Fat Bear Week contest. That's when Alaska's Katmai National Park holds an online contest for wildlife enthusiasts to go online and vote for their favorite bear as the bears pack on the pounds for the winter. But this year there was an online attempt to spam the vote total, though it was caught in the semifinal round. I mean, the fat bear contest is nothing sacred. You know, there was a time in this country when the message we taught our kids was that things such as sportsmanship mattered. Although I don't know how convincing that argument might be to the average kid who this week is watching the Major League Baseball playoffs where the Astros are up one game against the Yankees for the American League Division Championship. Does anyone else remember, it was only two years ago, when Major League Baseball determined that the Astros cheated? They broke the rules? They used a camera system to determine the signs that a catcher was making to the pitcher? They did that in 2017, the Astros. By the way, just coincidentally, a year that the Astros won the World Series. Or maybe these kids are watching quarterback Tom Brady, who has deftly avoided accountability even better than he's avoided tackles. After Deflategate, where Brady was accused of uh, playing with balls purposely deflated to make them easier to grip and throw and catch, the response from even some of the all-time greats was this. They always say, if you ain't ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Say it ain't so, Joe. Maybe it's time we step back and get a little less of Vince Lombardi's winning isn't everything, it's the only thing mentality, and a little more of John Wooden's the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. But then again, they named the Super Bowl trophy after Lombardi. Let's turn now to someone who accepted the math and the reality of his fate back in 2016, former presidential candidate Jeb Bush. He's on a new kind of campaign. Does the man once known as the education governor have any winning ideas for turning our school systems around in this post-COVID distress period? And what does Jeb Bush think about today's Republican Party? That's when CNN Tonight returns. The 2022 midterm election is just 19 days away, but former Vice President Mike Pence's response about 2024 is what it has Washington, D.C. buzzing tonight. Take a listen. If Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for president in 2024, will you vote for him? Well, there might be somebody else I'd prefer more. Vice President Pence talking obliquely, perhaps modestly, about himself running for president. I I still have to say I find his restraint a thing to behold, given the whole hang Mike Pence thing, which we've now learned Trump was saying privately that maybe the mob had a point. In any case, 2024 is on. Let's talk about this and much, much more, including some of the issues that will be important in 2024. Former governor of Florida and former Republican presidential candidate, Uh, Jeb Bush. Governor, so good to see you again. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I know you want to talk about education. I'll get there in one sec. But the vice president, Pence, he seems to think there's room for a traditional, dare I say, sane Republican in the 2024 race for president. And 
that's who you tried to be in the 2016 uh, presidential election. Um, do you think there's room? Would the Republican base look to someone other than Donald Trump? I think so, yeah. I think uh, uh, Vice President Pence uh, will make his case to uh, primary voters. My guess is he's running. I don't know that for a fact, but he's certainly well qualified to do it. He's earned that position, as have others. And um, my guess is, I don't know this for a fact, I'm not a, not a great pundit on these matters, but my guess is that there'll be a yearning for, uh, A, a new generation of leadership in our country in 2024, and B, candidates that are focused on the future, not necessarily uh, the grievances of the past. So um, whether or not the former president runs or not, I have no clue, but he'll be formidable. But there'll be other candidates that uh, will, will uh, be able to make their case for sure. The current Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, uh, is in that new generation. He will be the first Gen X president. He's a rising star in the Republican Party in Florida and nationwide. He seems to also be signaling he might run for president. Would you support him if he ran? I, well, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in a primary, but I, uh, you know, before we even get to the uh, end of this election cycle. But I can tell you he's, he's done a great job as governor. He's governed very effectively. Uh, his response to the pandemic, I think, was uh, extraordinarily good. His education policies are solid. He's made a real commitment to protecting the water resources and the natural environment of our state. Um, he's, you know, kept the legislature in line. Uh, he's done the things that, uh, that I admire as, as governor. And he also has a strong appeal outside the state because he's tackled these cultural issues that have a pretty broad appeal in the Republican um, mindset right now. So let's, let's talk about some of the issues you just raised with, uh, regarding Governor DeSantis, education uh, and COVID, because the la- latest national assessment of educational progress, uh, often called the nation's report card, showed student test scores plummeted in math and reading after the pandemic to, to levels we haven't seen in decades. Um, that dramatic drop is attributed in large part to the pandemic, where schools were shut down, learning went virtual, um, because of various policies, uh, the fear of kids getting sick, fear of teachers getting sick. Um, What are your thoughts on this? How long will it take to get our kids back on track? Well, if we put the proper resources behind new policies and we actually faithfully implement the policies that we know work, we can uh, overcome these big learning gaps, particularly with low-income kids. Jake, this is, this is, uh, we've always had this challenge uh, in our country of, of, of uh, lower-income kids struggling with uh, education outcomes compared to more affluent students. And it's gotten worse, and the NAEP results that will come out on Monday will probably show really awful, an awful, awful situation. So what should we do? Empower parents to make choices uh, for their kids. Give them the power to choose public and private options, as, as is, exists in Florida, Arizona, and other places. Give them transparency to know where their, where their kids stand. Most parents think their kids are all doing fantastic, but the reality is the NAEP scores will show, I think, that the, the number of kids that are proficient are, are way too low. I have to say I'm surprised that there hasn't been a national conversation about the damage done to kids because of these school closures and the virtual learning and everything because... I mean, I'm not saying there should be a national do-over, but we can't just pretend that fifth graders who are now seventh graders, that that didn't happen, you know? Like, I feel like there should be, and not, not with a blame game. Look, it happened. People did it. It was criticized, the school closures, the virtual learning, et cetera. But here we are. Um, 
there needs to be yeah, like a I mean, like a bipartisan movement, you know? I, no, I agree, and I think I think what happens in Washington, uh, and it seems like our our policy and our politics is all DC focused. What happens is that everything gets hyper politicized, um, and so you know, schools opening or not becomes a political issue rather than um, recognizing you know mistakes may have been made. It was a really difficult time, but let's try to solve problems now and. Um, there is a bipartisan consensus outside of Washington of what needs to be done. Democratic governors and, and Republican governors alike, uh, many of them are abandoning the whole language notion for reading and focusing on the science of reading. Uh, and there's a lot of efforts uh, to use this the money, not all the COVID money has you know, been spent, to be able to develop strategies to uh, empower parents to make more choices about how do you overcome these big gaps in the, in the learning loss that took place. But to ignore it, we do it at our peril because imagine uh, if, you're, if you're in fourth grade right now and you've had two years where you haven't, there hasn't been an assessment, there hasn't been any diagnostic work done, uh, and you're starting to have to do science and social mm-hmm. studies and math and you can't read, how the heck is that child going to be able to progress? And those yeah. learning losses will grow and grow and grow. I mean, who's marching in the streets for these kids? Who's, yeah. who's expressing outrage? And that's, that's what um, I hope the NAEP results, uh, because I'm pretty sure they're going to be ugly, I hope that they uh, end up being a catalyst to do a lot more than what we're doing today. Yeah, I've said it a million times. The adults of this country are, have been failing the children of this country. I want to ask you, because you talked about Governor DeSantis uh, taking on cultural issues that have appeal uh, in the Republican Party beyond just Florida. Florida has a new law in effect that, that also impacts kids' education in school. It's called the individual freedom measure. It's commonly referred to as the Stop Woke Act. Uh, It prohibits teaching that one ethnic group is inherently racist and should feel guilty for past actions committed by others. Your mission as a governor in Florida was to improve the education system. Um, I don't know exactly how these rules are being enforced, but do you have any concern that these restrictions could have a chilling effect on teachers just having honest conversations about civil rights or slavery or, or, or anything else? Well, I think there's, there's, a, there's certainly a middle ground on this. I don't, I don't think it has been implemented. I don't know what the enforceability is. Uh, I do know that Governor DeSantis has uh, expanded parental choice, has uh, uh, put, put a lot of money in the budget for uh, literacy-based uh, efforts, and that's where I, you know, I support him. These cultural issues uh, generate uh, enormous amount of interest because there there are problems for sure, um, but some of this is making a political point to push back against um, wokeness in general, and um, you know how it's how it's implemented. We'll see. All right, former Governor Jeb Bush, always good to have you on. Please don't be a stranger. Come back. We want to talk more about education, and you're a good person to, with whom to do it. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jake. From Jeb, we'll turn to Phil. Somebody feed Phil. Sitcom creator and traveling foodie Phil Rosenthal joins me to talk about his new book and the new season of his hit show. Stay with us. If you're one of the millions of fans of the hit TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond, you obviously know Ray Romano, but the name I really want you to know is Phil Rosenthal. Phil is the guy who created that hit show, 
And Rosenthal has a new book out this week. It's called Somebody Feed Phil, the same name of his hit travel food show on Netflix, now in its sixth season. I got you a sandwich. Oh, or two. My God. Phil Rosenthal joins me now. Phil, so good to see you again. Love seeing you, You doing all right? Yeah, I'm great. Happy to be here. You seem great. So (laughs) in the first episode, you go to my hometown, Philly. When I think of Philly, I think of cheesesteaks. I think of soft pretzels with mustard. I think of... Water ice, what we call Italian ice. Water ice. Water ice. Water ice. Yeah. Water ice. But you found a, a, a much more impressive uh, culinary fair there. I'm here to tell people that Philly is now one of the best food cities in the world. And really? I'm not kidding. In the yeah. world? Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a Thai place, I don't know if you know it, called Kalaya. No. Uh, Esquire Magazine picked it as the best new restaurant in America last year. Yeah. Okay. There's great chefs. You know Michael Salamanoff. I know from Salamanoff. Zahav. He does Zahav. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And he's got Laser Wolf, too, and a, a few other places. He's got, he's like a kingpin in Philly. There's Mark Vetri's empire is there. You know who he is with uh, Vetri and Fiorello. He, he's there. These are amazing chefs. I'm telling you, it's not just cheesesteaks and Hoogies. And hoogies. I forgot yeah. the I forgot the hoogies. And thank you for pronouncing it the correct way. I appreciate it. I'm married to a Philadelphian. No, I know, I know. So this season you went diving for sea urchins in Croatia. Yes. And you rode in a uh, race car for the first time yes. in Austin. Let's start with the sea urchins. Okay, my brother is the producer of the show. And yeah. so he thinks it's a great show when I hurt myself. <laughs> and so we right. he sent me underwater in Croatia uh, diving for sea urchins. To and- eat them? To eat them, to gather them to be eaten. And did you eat them? Well, sure. That's the point. You know, I had one once at, yeah. the, at, a, at an embassy. That it's not go, for everybody. That she'll go, she'll go. And it was, not, it was, I did not enjoy it. Not as delightful it as it should like, be? It was like brine. It was like yes. silt. It was not, it was like a mouthful of ocean. That's what it tasted like. When it's great, it's this beautiful, silky, I, I, there was a Japanese master uh, uh, sushi man in Los Angeles who said, it's like ice cream. What? Yes. Is that how you found it? No, but (laughs) it's very, very good when it's good. You might have had a, you know, the one that turned. But anyway, you put on protective gloves because sea urchins. I don't want to risk it with the the turning of the urchins, which is a great title (laughs) for your next book, by the way. But but you're saying, go ahead, with the gloves. I get protective gloves. I take just uh, any way to pick them up. No, you just scoop them up. I go to pick them up. The spines go right through my glove, into my hand. And it's not just the one spine that you see. The spines have tiny, like almost microscopic barbs. Okay. And so the next part of our show is a nurse taking out. Then my brother's laughing. This is great. He thinks it's great. That's not the worst thing. The worst thing was the Formula One track in Austin. Tell me about that. I, I went in the car, a Ferrari with a race car driver, 187 miles an hour. Have you ever done anything like that? No, 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 no. Don't do it. I, I, I would ne- it never would occur to me. You know, we what, see it. Paul Newman? No, I mean, it's not. A little. <laughs> but but you go, you see it on the TV. It looks like it's fast, but it looks smooth. Yeah. It is anything but smooth. I compare it to being in multiple car accidents. So it's a horrible. It sounds feeling. like a horrible thing. It yeah. seems like it would be a horrible thing. Your brother, he, he's, he's, just let me guess. He's your younger brother? That's right. Yeah. See, I knew it. Because he's enjoying, because I have a younger brother, and he's, he enjoys, enjoy, he's yes. enjoying your suffering. That's exactly he's right. He's enjoying calling you out. I think that's it. And, and I must say, he's on to something, because the people <laughs> seem to enjoy it, too. <laughs> right. No, I'm not saying 
I'm not saying he's not wise. I'm not saying he's not right, but I just wanted to get he's pretty, to, to, yeah. to the heart of it. No, no, I, he's, he, and I've, I've talked to him. He's a very nice guy. <laughs> so you have said that you feel like, you think of yourself as Anthony Bourdain if... He was and, afraid of everything. If Anthony Bourdain was afraid uh, of everything. So, yeah. so you've, but, but it's not just that, right? The whole point is to like make yourself face it and do it, right? Yes, that's, that's, or at least have a brother who makes you face and do it. Right. I do have to say that in the six seasons, now we're in our sixth season, yeah. I have gotten a little braver. I have eaten bugs. Yeah. Have you? I mean, not intentionally. You want to have it. <laughs> <laughs> not the, what, what is, of all this, obviously the race car driving was your yeah. le- one of your least favorite things. What, what, yeah. What's been the craziest thing you've done? That's it. Uh, uh, well, I guess I ate a thousand-year-old egg in Hong Kong. It's not, it's not really a thousand. It just tastes that way. They bury it in lime and ash. They coat it. And then it kind of hard boils on the ground for <laughs> like a month or two. And I didn't know this. I was in the hot pot restaurant. I, you're supposed to take a little sliver of this and add it to the hot pot. I had these half hard boiled eggs on the table. The white is a brownish yellow and the yolk is a bluish green. And the person with me, she was a little skittish. She didn't want to do it. So I took the whole thing and I said, oh, come on. And I popped it in my mouth because I'm hilarious. And I turned every shade of that egg. And if you listen, you can hear someone laughing off screen of my brother. And I thought I was going to die. And and did it cause you any serious? I mean, did you you throw up? Did you? Was there anything that? How much do you want to know? I guess, you know what? Let's just move on to the next question. what What is the biggest surprise you've had? Something that you ate that you actually thought you were going to hate and you and you actually enjoyed it and would have it again even without a camera and your brother there? I had an ant in Japan. An ant that came in a salad. And when an ant comes in the salad, you think, oh, the restaurant has a yeah. problem. Maybe yeah. call they the should call. Inspector. Yes. Yeah. But no, I, the person with me said, these ants taste like lemon. I said, oh, in that case, could I have some lemon? Yeah. And they said, no, you should really try it. Try the and it took all the courage I could muster to put this thing in my mouth. And damn, if it didn't taste like somebody put a lemon drop on my tongue. It was good. It was really good. And I was like, like a great lemon drop, not just a lemon. I said, okay, so you base these in lemons. No, this ant, not every ant, but this particular ant from this part of the woods in this part of Japan tastes like a lemon. I don't know who found it. Hungry guy. But right. it's good. All right, lemon ants. Um, <laughs> we should also note that this season also features a, a, a touching tribute yeah. uh, to your late parents, Max and Helen, who, yes. as everybody who watches the show knows, uh, were frequent uh, guests uh, yes. on the show. Um, and, and this tribute is, um, it, it's, it's very sweet. Let, let's, uh, let's, let's watch a bit of that tribute. Good. I love to see you dancing the tango. That was my favorite. That was the most frightening thing I've done on the show so far. You look terrific. So the show is very funny. This is this is different. It's moving. Why was it important for you to include? They were the best part of the show. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't alone. In that. I, it's just obvious. I, I say in the, in the tribute, I think people sat through my crap just to get to them. <laughs> they were the best part. They were always, you know, listen, I come from sitcom world, right? So you're looking for funny characters that can recur. Right. I happen to have them 
in their house. So there they were. So I would Skype with them and they would always deliver, always. My brother and I would marvel at the fact like, I, it's a, they're like a miracle. They're, they they're inspired, inadvertent. They inspired everybody, loves, everyone loves Raymond. I mean, that's, Absolutely that, I mean, that's, right. They were the source material for that. Absolutely right. How lucky am I yeah. to have that family? I had a friend who would write sitcoms. He would go home and yell at his parents. How come you can't be crazy like Phil Spring? <laughs> yes, they were the, they, I owe everything to them. Yeah. So this tribute, I mean, Netflix very generously let me do this, but I owe everything to them. I, I, I'm so happy to have been their son. And they were so happy that my brother and I, who fought like idiots when we were children, yeah. now work together. And that we're happy. It gave them uh, nachas, as they say. Yeah. And they, they just, uh, they had great lives. Uh, my mom, unfortunately, passed from ALS, so the proceeds from my book. The book, I, let me just hold it up here. Somebody feed Phil the book. Yeah. Which, by the way, has some of the most requested recipes from the yes, first four 60. Uh, 60 recipes. So people yes. who want, uh, and the proceeds go to. Yeah, my share of the proceeds are going to ALS. IMALS.org. Yeah. Well, may their memories be a blessing. Thank you. Sir. And uh, it's, so, it's so good to see you I again. I love seeing you. And just so people know, yeah. like this is season six on Netflix. It's like, on right now. To get to season one is a big deal. Netflix likes to end shows at season two. They're big in, and like you have to be a big deal to make it to six on Netflix. So mazel tov. All right. It's so good to see you, Phil. Thank you love so you, much. Love you, Jake. Thank you. Phil's book is available right now. Go check it out. We'll be right back. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the TikTok at Jake Tapper. Our coverage now continues with the strong Laura Coates and the mighty Allison Camerata. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.